Our focus this morning is going to be on Exodus 34, 1 to 6. That's what we're going to plan to, to go through. Uh, leading up, up to there, just getting, get, getting some context to orient ourselves. And what, what is the whole book of Exodus about? How would you guys explain that? Yeah, it's like, it's all about you know God's name, who who He is, and when the word name is used, what is it referring to in particular? Is it just the pronunciation? Yeah, His character and His will. You know, it's it's who he is and what he does. And we'll see that in Exodus 34 when his name is further revealed there. And also in this book, as God's revealing his name, he's also beginning the nation of Israel that he promised would come from Abraham. And with that nation, he has a, an international plan for them to be a kingdom of priests. You know, they're, they're to be a global evangelist. But when we get to Exodus 32 and the golden calf incident, how do they do at being a kingdom of priests? Now you'll remember back in uh, Exodus 19, well actually, look, we can turn there, Exodus 19, because you're going to hear some parallels and what we're going to look at today. In Exodus 19, <coughs> 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. So it says this, this is what they were s supposed to be, but there were certain things that, that had to happen, you know, listening to his voice and keeping his covenant. But when we get to the golden calf thing, you know, did they do that? You know, that's not what happened, but this section in scripture, it's, you know, they're at the mount, and whoever touches the mount will die. And we're about, you know, this is where, the 10 words are given, but we're going to come back to that mount. Those 10 words are going to be re-given, but what you're, what you're not going to see this time is the focus on judgment and death, but you're going to see the focus on the, the coming to the mount that is the life and deliverance instead. <clears throat> so the... Previous, they had saw, you know, if, if you disobey God, you, you die. You, you get the death penalty. That, that happened in the golden calf incident, but not everybody who deserves to die dies. And there's two things working with the, the difference between you know, a, a covenant and the law, in which a covenant establishes a relationship, which they don't deserve this relationship but God says that he's going to establish it. The law conducts how that relationship is carried out. So the covenant has to deal with a relationship law with conduct within that relationship, and they didn't carry out you know, lawful conduct. So it severs that relationship, which the purpose of the law was to be an instructor who taught them that that relationship was severed. It was to instruct them that there is this separation between holy God and sinful man. And so what you see is that the law served its purpose in the golden calf incident and that it pointed out their sin and it pointed to their need for a God-man mediator that they needed a penal substitutionary atonement. They needed a mediator who could represent God to man and then man back to God by dealing with the sin problem, dealing with the death problem. 
And you might recall from, it was like two or three weeks ago, last time we were in class, that you know, Moses wanted to be that mediator. He, he tells you know, perhaps I can atone for you. And what he learns is, is the Lord tells him, that is how it works. There is a mediator who makes atonement. You got that right, but you're not the guy. So there's kind of this question hanging, well, then who is it, you know, if it's not him? This is ultimately what, what Moses is wanting to understand in the context that we're in. And Yahweh explains to Moses, you know, as he sets up this, you know, lesson to Israel and how the tent of meeting is outside of the camp. And the people get that they, they understood the covenant. They understood the terms. They understood the death penalty. And they did want that kind of relationship with God. And so they saw that you know, Moses could go to the tent of meeting, but it was outside of the camp. They couldn't go there, but there was hope that somehow we can because Moses can meet with God. So that means it is a possibility. Uh, but they would need somebody to mediate that relationship. And so we, we had discussed this terminology in 32.14 where it talks about how God relented, which the idea wasn't that you know, God changed his mind and that he was, well, I'm not going to judge him. I'm going to judge him. Okay, I'm not going to judge him. It wasn't this sort of thing, but it was getting Moses to, to assume the mediatorial role so he could be instructed in what a mediator actually is so that he could instruct others in what a mediator is. And the idea there is really that God was resolved to uphold who he is. He was resolved to uphold his holiness in holy justice to, to carry out the death penalty. He's showing, you know, I, I don't change. I told you that there's a death penalty for these things. He hasn't changed in his character. He hasn't changed in his will. And so Moses' appeal and prayer is, you know, yes, God, be, be just, but also be the justifier, but do it through atonement being made through a mediator. And he finds out, well, he's not the atoning mediator. And you're, you're seeing what we call the immutability of God or his unchangeableness. You know, this, this has always been his plan. He, he is who he is and he will be who he will be. And you're seeing that continue to play out throughout scripture. And he's you know, teaching Moses and will be teaching Israel that even what you did hasn't changed anything in me or my will. You know, it doesn't change you know, God and his attributes, it doesn't change his plan of salvation or his covenants. And what God is demonstrating is that, you know, he, he is going to forgive. So you think about, you know, the, the Levites who sided with the Lord when they go to carry out the death penalty, they don't kill everybody who deserves it. So you see, God is willing to forgive but you also see this element in which he says, you know, he tells Moses these people are going to go into the land, but he's not going to be there. And then Moses says, well, what's the point? You know, if we just have the land, but you're not, you're not there. You know, so you kind of see this concept of you know, a person's sin can be forgiven in a sense, but it can be without that relationship to God. You know, they don't get the death penalty that they deserve right away, they get to keep on living, but not really because they don't have life in, in God. And so Moses says, you know, it's, it, it's not just about the land. It's about, you know, you dwelling with us, us dwelling with you, because he's recognizing that the exodus of moving from one location to another isn't enough. You know, it's not just about, you know, getting in the moving truck and go into a better place. It, it's about you know, God dwelling with man again and that being restored, which you know, he, he understands at this point because he, he understands 
how the tabernacle is a picture of Eden and it's an illustrative gospel tract to show them how salvation works. So there's this element in which we should recognize you know, no, no, nobody deserves this relationship with God. You know, we don't deserve a relationship with God. And you know, God can give us things without a relationship to him. You know, he can give you wealth. He can give you land, but you end up not having him. But Moses is eager to, to mediate for God and to see that relationship established. So as you think about in the, within the camp and the tabernacle, worship and the such and the tent of meeting being outside of the camp, you're going to start seeing this language in scripture of near and far. You know, those are there are those who are far from God and those who are near to him, which part of the confusion of the Jews are they're going to think that they're near to God even though they're in the outside courtyard and you're going to think, well, the Gentiles are the ones who are far from God rather than them being a picture of, well, they're just like the Gentiles. They're actually far from God too and they all need to be brought near. And we talked a little bit about this in Ephesians 2, but I'll have you turn there and see this you know, tabernacle theology just kind of having Exodus in your mind and think about it talking about that particular event. And in a, in a way, you, you could think of this like Moses communicating the glory of God to the Israelites. Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So you hear that? You know, you guys worship like everybody else, golden calf, coveted, and you're eating and drinking, and whatever you did, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you see that you see this sort of ascending to the mount of God and becoming a priesthood that, that makes him known to others. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. You remember the Israelites said, well, we'll obey everything that you said. They, they did not. <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't of their works that this relationship would be had with God. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's saying, you know, the, the tent of meeting, you know, the tabernacle, dwelling with God, being in his presence, you know, that was far off. But how were you brought near? Atonement, mediator, priest. It's the blood of Christ. As for he himself is our peace who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself 
he might create the two into one new man, making peace. Saying, so think about that. And that you know, Israel was supposed to be this priesthood of communicating to the whole world that you need this atonement. Now, the, the mystery of the church is that Gentiles are part of the priesthood. And you see, it's, it's one new man. It's not the, the Israelites alone are the priesthood out to the Gentiles, but Gentiles join in the priesthood of being evangelists with them. It says, verse 16, it might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. You know, think atonement there, having in himself put to death the enmity. And he came and preached the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole building... So you think of the tabernacle here being joined together as growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. Yeah, that's uh, you know the concept of tabernacles there in that word sanctuary. He says, you know, you guys are that. You, know, you you are the dwelling place of God, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, which helps you to make sense of when he's. You know, he commands you to, to be filled with the Spirit. It's like, well, why are you to be filled with the Spirit? Why are you to be filled with the presence of God? Because of what you've become. You know, you've become the building of God. You've become the, the tabernacle, which is you know, a gospel tract to the nations. You know, you've become the, the priesthood, which displays God's character and how you live and is the proclamation of God's will to both judge and save Sinners. So that's how it ends up. Yeah, that, that's an example of how this sort of theology connects into New Testament, and it, and it kind of puts it in high definition for you, and that you you get you know, the the antecedent truth that those sort of concepts were built upon. So how, how is it that you know, man will be reconciled to God ultimately? And what we see within the tabernacle and as we go back to Exodus 33 is where we're at. Uh, in 33... Thirty-three, nineteen in Exodus, because there isn't a chapter thirty-three in Ephesians. So, <laughs> uh, says this. This is Yahweh here. Yahweh said, "I myself." Says this is how all this stuff is going to work. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So th this is the Passover word. But you remember last time we heard about this stuff, it was focused on judgment. But in this case now, it's going to be focused on deliverance. He says, there, there's another, uh, some, something more that his goodness does. He says, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So you see here, he's already shown wrath on those whom he would show wrath. But now he's highlighting you know, his grace and, and compassion. He says, the way that I'm going to bring about this this reconciliation is my goodness passing before you. The way that I'm going to do this is you know, I will proclaim the, the name of Yahweh, which you're going to see this is actually a concept. He's going to call upon the name of Yahweh, which is the nerdy thing I was talking about earlier with Hebrew and the preposition. But you're, you're going to see it in, in your own Bible in English. So there's a difference if, you know, this, you know, if he's just proclaiming, he's just declaring who he is, but if he's calling upon himself, there's this sort of intercession or 
praying, which the way that this is going to tie into name theology is that you know part of God's name is you know He's the priest mediator. You know, that's what's built into his character and will. And I won't leave you hanging on that. I'll show this to you in Exodus 34, look in verse 5. So, you know, Yahweh said, I, you know, I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. It says in 34, 5, then, then Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with him and he called upon the name of Yahweh. It's the same word. But it's, if you translate it the same in each case, you would have, you know, called upon, which, you know, how this is translated by Moses and other places, you, you read it, it's, it's always in relation to prayer. You know, Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. But what's strange to the Bible translator in this is it, you're going to wait. Okay, who's doing the verb? It says, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with him. And he called upon the name of the Lord, or called upon the name of Yahweh. It's like, well, why would Yahweh do that? So you start thinking, well, it makes more sense to me to say that Moses did that rather than Yahweh. But then the next verse says, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out. It doesn't say that Moses called it out. You know, Yahweh called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So this is this is the answer to the question, well, you know, who who can mediate if not Moses? You know, then then who mediates? He said, you know, show me your glory, show me your your character that, that'll do this and show me your will and how it, it works out. Because I don't get how it works. And he says the way that it works is Yahweh calls upon Yahweh. It's like, well what is, what does that mean? Well it's like, Yahweh descended into the cloud. You remember the pillar of cloud was called Yahweh. It was also called the angel of the Lord, which is also called Yahweh. And you have you know, Yahweh in the pillar of cloud calling out to, to Yahweh for mediation for these people to be atoned for. So what Moses ends up learning in this is that it, the, the man mediator is a God mediator. You know, it does he make the connection that, it, that it's a God-man? I don't know. But he's saying, it is God. He's like, it has to be a man, and it is God. Which, I guess when you read later in Scripture, you know, he, you know Jesus says, you know, Moses wrote about me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, you know, who, who is the person, and when does he show up? But you see that sort of expectation all, all throughout Scripture from, you know, Eve's first son going through the Bible. People say, you know, is it Cain? No. Okay. Was it Abel? No. Decoy. Yeah. Uh, Shem, which means name. It's like, oh, God's name is going to be carried out through the people of the name. So you start, you know, tracing those people out back. Well, maybe it's... Uh, or no, that's Seth, Seth. Uh, he's the appointed one. Shem ends up being the name guy because then you have Noah. People are like, well, maybe this is the rest bringer guy. And then it's like, well, he has three sons. Obviously, it wasn't Noah. You know, which one is it? You know, it's Shem. It's the Shemitic people, ultimately. And so you start following that family. And then yeah, maybe it's Abraham. Maybe it's Isaac. Maybe it's Jacob. Maybe it's Moses. <laughs> but the point you're making yeah. here seems like this is the maybe this is the first revelation, at least with Moses, where the nature of that person, that mediator, is the God, he's like the God, the man mm. who is at once in nature, God. <laughs> Yeah. And what's in verse five, because I know some of you you'll have there it just says, you know, he proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And what, what you have in the, the Hebrew text is a, you know attached to the word for name, there's a preposition there. 
So if you just put, he proclaimed the name, you're, you're dropping the preposition. So you have to make, you know, prepositions do a lot of different things. They do a lot of work in, in this language. But you have to say, well, you know, is the, the preposition used to say, you know, it's in the location of, it's referring to a, a person, you know, it's upon, it's at, it's by, something like that. You got to find the, the, the preposition that fits the context. And the, the NASB and the LSB, and I think actually the NLT brought this across pretty good, but they, they put in the, they put in the preposition, <laughs> which is that, you know, he called upon the name of Yahweh. Like when you, and you read that, wait, Yahweh called upon the name of Yahweh. Like why would he call upon himself? But you, you've already seen that there's, like a Yahweh in heaven and a Yahweh on earth. You know, you, you, but you see that in the incident with Sodom and Gomorrah, that there's this, you know, there's a Yahweh on earth, there's a Yahweh in, in, in heaven. We have this angel of the Lord that's Yahweh. There's this pillar of cloud that is Yahweh. And now you have you know, the Yahweh in the cloud talking to, you know, calling upon the name of Yahweh. It's kind of just, it's mind-bending to think about because you know that, you know, he's one. And you all say, well, you know, are there two Yahwehs? <laughs> it's like, well, that's not, that, that's not right because he's one. So, you know, it's, it's one being, but he's so unique and otherly than us that however his one being works, this sort of communication and intercession can happen within the one being that he is. The ESV uses the word proclaim. Yeah, it just says he, he proclaimed. Yeah. So it's that. And there's no preposition. Yeah. Was that, was not, is that not a helpful translation? No, there might be. Well, I think the footnote they have in there is on the he. <laughs> the, you know, it, That's right. The, you know, it's either he referring to Moses or referring to the Lord, but there isn't a footnote on, we didn't know what to do with the preposition, so we just dropped it. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's where you, you know, the, the meaning of how something is used is to you know, determine by how it's used, so just keep reading. So you're like, oh, well, was it Moses? And it's like, well, no. Uh, Yahweh's the one who calls out or, or proclaims. Yeah, that's the, the, the Nazareth gives a, gives a little note. Or he called out the name of the Lord. Yeah. But again, the, the he is ambiguous. The way Yahweh works in both senses. Yeah. Yeah, and the answer usually is to just start working backwards to the nearest subject, and you'll find it. You know, that's just a general rule of thumb. But you see, you know, Yahweh descended, Yahweh stood, Yahweh called upon. But what's weird is just you think, well, I don't understand how that could work. And so you translate it different because you don't understand how it'll work. But, you know, up to that point, you know, as you translate, you know, when... Uh, you know, you have Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. You don't say, well, I don't understand that, so maybe I'll just put he proclaimed the name of the Lord. It's like, well, no, it's always used in an intercessory sort of way, but that also fits the context because Moses in this context is saying, you know, I'm willing to be that meteor. I'm willing to be that intercessor. And God says, you're, you're right, that's how it works. It's not you. So how does it work? It says, Yahweh calls upon Yahweh. That's how it works. And so that, and that, that's his glory to do that, which, you know, you see this in Luke when, you know, Yahweh on the cross cries out to Yahweh in heaven. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
you know, you see that 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 intercession play out there. But Moses is he's being told that's how it's going to work. So coming into Exodus 34, we'll read the first six verses, which we've really talked about the main point of them there already. And we'll just look at the first six verses together in chapter 34. Now, Yahweh said to Moses, carve out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be prepared by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. And now listen, we're coming back to Mount Sinai. It sounds like, you know, Exodus 19, uh, the, the tablets are coming again, but you don't have fire, smoke, death, judgment. And he says, and present, pre present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. Now remember what, you know, last time I read about this in Exodus 19, what did, what did, what did it say would happen to any man or animal that came up to the mountain? Yeah, so he says, this time I'm not giving you the death message, I'm giving you the life message. So he carved out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. Then Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with him. So you think, now Yahweh's in the cloud, it's the pillar of cloud, it's stood there with him, you know, it's with Moses, you know, it's a word that's used like a soldier within a military, you know, he's standing at attention to the captain, waiting for direction. So you have here, there's this Yahweh in the cloud who's come to do the will of God, to stand at attention to be that mediator and, and priest, you know, at, at the command of Yahweh, which we know it's, you, you were, we, we see the father-son interaction here, but that's not how God has revealed himself at this point. You know, as we had talked about in a previous lesson, as God builds out his name, you know, in Exodus 3, he's, you know, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he has this really long name that explains who he is. Then when you get to the end of Matthew in the New Testament, and Jesus talks about you know, discipling others in the name, it's like there's still one name, but how do we explain it to people? It's this Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the name further develops uh, at that point, which it's it's the same truths, but different things have developed in history by that point. Okay, so Yahweh descended in the cloud and he, and he stood there with him and he called upon the name of Yahweh. So Moses wants to see his glory, which is his character and his will. And it happens with the mediator intercessor standing right next to him. He says, this is how it works. I intercede for you. I call, I call upon the name of Yahweh for you. And it says, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. So you hear you know, echoes of you know, the Israelite covenant from Exodus 19 and, and 20, and it's all being, in a way, you know, it renewed here. But you see that what God isn't doing is he's not counting their record of wrongs against them, but he's displaying his forgiveness and that he says, you know, I, I have a way through which mediation and atonement that 
I can blot those things out of the books and keep your name in the book of life. And, you know, this idea of, you know, standing there with Moses and holding his ground is something you'll, you'll see this verb used a lot with the priest. You know, the priest stood, like standing in the place of another. And you see that you know, the angel of Yahweh, the pillar of cloud, is acting as a priest mediator. He's you know, standing in the place of those who deserve judgment and calling upon the name of the Lord to be who he is and to do what he promised to do, which who he is, see, he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. But that also translates into the things that he does. There's who he is and then what he does. What does he do? He keeps loving kindness for thousands. And who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. What you see is, you know, when Yahweh calls upon Yahweh, there's this display of the image of God, who he is. It's, you know, Yahweh in the cloud is the exact imprint of his nature. You know, you connect that into that idea that's presented in Hebrews 1, 3. And Moses hears how Yahweh on earth intercedes for a people to Yahweh in heaven, and it, he's being instructed on who the mediator is and how the mediator functions. You know, the mediator functions and appeals to God to be who he will be, which is why you see the repetition of, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh God. Just, so, you know, those words are used twice in the uh, I am who I am. You know, that's just Yahweh, Yahweh. Or which also, you know, also carries the idea of I will be who I will be. So God is saying, you know, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's another way to articulate it. You know, he hasn't changed. He, 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 he's always been the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, etc. You know, it keeps going on in his plan to bring his people back into his land under his blessing forever hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. And so he's affirming, you know, once again to Moses' immutability, not only in his character, but also in his will. Because you can't promise that you're going to make a nation out of Abraham and then, and then come in and say everybody deserves a death penalty, and they do, and then wipe them all out. Because otherwise you can't fulfill your will, which is why Moses appeals to to him saying, remember Abraham, <laughs> you can't do this. He's like, that's exactly what I wanted you to get out of this. And so he appeals to God to be the unchanging one who he is. And you see that who he is is compassionate. And what he does is that he keeps loving kindness and that this isn't something that it's not to say that God is mostly these things or primarily these things, but he's just always this. It, continually, habitually, uh, w without wavering in any way, he never becomes more or less anything that he is at any point. He's purely who he is and he can't be acted upon to make him change in any sort of way. So this is who he is always, every time. And this concept of compassion that's brought up here, it's actually the word womb. W-O-M-B, womb. And it communicates that his his care for his people is like a mother's care for her child. You know, he, he has compassion 
like that. There's ability to sympathize in him. And that compassion comes out in gracious actions. So where compassion is, you know, a willingness, graciousness is, you know, the action of carrying it out somehow. Uh, he, it says he's slow to anger. Which I talked about earlier, that's, that's, a, that's an idiomatic phrase in Hebrew that he's long of nose. You know, it, it takes you know, a long time for the, the snort to come down the snout. Uh, he doesn't, you know, his, his reflex isn't to be wrathful. He's known for his loving kindness. This is a word we got from William Tyndale. It's mostly, it, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. It, there's so much, you know, in the concept of the word, it's, it, it gets translated a lot of different ways in the New Testament, but primarily it gets translated as grace. So uh, when it says here, you know, the Lord is abounding in loving kindness and truth, he's saying, you know, that's who I am. Those same words get translated in the Gospel of John as referring to Jesus as he was full of grace and truth. He's saying he is this. You know, he what he is Yahweh in the cloud who calls upon the name of Yahweh. You know, he, he's the exact imprint of his nature. He is grace and truth. And the idea within this loving kindness sort of grace is it, he, it's his all-powerful intervention for the blessing of his people, you know, for the good of his people that he's able to do it and that he does do it. He, he's willing and he does everything necessary to accomplish that. But you, you read about how he does, does this in Psalm 107 and you've seen it in Exodus. You take a people that they don't have a city and it's one thing to have compassion for them and that, you know, those poor people and their, their slavery, they don't even have their, their own city apart from somebody else oppressing them. Well, the, the loving kindness piece is you give them a city and you give them a, a better master. So God doesn't just you know, have compassion. He has the ability to carry out giving to the people the things that he desires for them. You think of this uh, you know, Jesus' compassion in, in the boat with the disciples when they were terrified of the wind and the waves and they thought we're going to die. It, he has compassion for them, but he displays his loving kindness in his ability to do something about it. He can stand up to the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still. That's, that's part of the idea of his loving kindness. He has the absolute ability to intervene through his promises. And the idea of truth there, that's a word we know. It's amen. You see, the, the Lord cannot lie. You know, he can't be artificial. Uh, he's, he's always genuine in everything that he says, and he's never disingenuous. You, know, you you can always trust him. Uh, he's pure and true through and through. He doesn't just, you know, look right, but he, he's always right. You know, just like we talk about buying a car that's a lemon. You know, it looks like a good car, but you find out this is a bad car. It, the Lord is not like that. You know, he, he, he looks right and is right in everything that he does.
Yeah, and you see that with the, the sign that he showed to Moses. Is, you know, put your hand in there. It says, take out, it's leprous. Who diseased it? Says, I did. Put it back in there. <laughs> Pull it back out. Says, it's healed. Who healed it? And he says, well, you know, why, why that? He says, well, to, to show that I'm in control of that kind of evil. You don't have to worry about it. Says, you don't have to worry about the serpent in the garden. You don't have to worry about Pharaoh over Egypt. You don't have to worry about uh, godless rulers today or any other disease that you might have. You know, the, the Lord is going to, to heal you, but through the disease, it, it makes you, it brings you to want him to be who he is, which is a healer. And it, and it brings you to the place where you say, well, Lord, show me your glory. And you think that's exactly where Moses was. He just saw all of this death around him. And he went, he says, you know, I'm, I know that you're not just the death God. You know, you're, you're the God of life. You're the God of living. And you made these promises. And, and you have to keep them because you can't be unfaithful. So he says, you know, he's not, he's not asking out of, it's not a, a doubting necessarily. But it's, it's a faith in God that just wants to understand. And that's the place that we always want to be. You know, that's why I was talking with one of, one of my friends about some, some similar uh, sort of topic and, you know, the whole question of, you know, well, is, is God the chargeable cause of evil? I said, you are not allowed to ask that question. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point in Romans 9. Said, you know, you're the clay, he's the potter. And, but that's meant to comfort you to say, you know, I, I can trust him. I, I don't have to understand these things, and God knows that, that it's better for me that I don't. I just need to know that I can trust him, which is the point of the book of Job. You know, his friends all want to work it out. And I, they're like, man, what is happening to you is really messing up our worldview. So you're hiding some sin, aren't you? Said, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's like you guys are not helping me. <laughs> but he learns, you know, he he can tr he can trust God even in that because God wants to reveal something about Himself not only to you know, the Job's but to all of those who are watching those things happen to Him as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's meant not to to bring us to philosophize about 
you know, the chargeable cause of evil or, you know, you know that, that question, you know, how can a good God allow this evil to happen? So well, how, how can a, a good God permit sinful people to live, any of them? But you see, the, the answer to these things is found in this little section that we've, we've started into is, you know, Yahweh calls upon Yahweh to be who he is and who he will be, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And next week, we'll talk about the, this gospel tension of, you know, how does he forgive iniquity, but by no means leave the guilty unpunished? So you guys can come with the answer next week on that. And we'll talk about it together. And I'll close in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the revelation of your glory. That we see that your salvation plan is that you would mediate for us. Which we know that it is you, Jesus, who is our one and only mediator. The only one that we need the once-for-all sacrifice, atonement for our sins. We thank you for the glory of this revelation of the hope that we have in you. Thank you that you have shown us these things. Pray that we would be amazed by them, transformed by them, and that these truths would not only change our lives, but you would help us to be able to speak them to others, to explain them to others, that we would carry out being the priesthood that you have made us to make you known to the nations, that you would be glorified to the ends of the earth. And we know it is your character to do such, it is your will to do so. And we long for that day and pray that we would be faithful to your cause and your mission and the short life that you have given us. Amen.